Welcome to the Conversations with Commerce Next podcast. I'm your host, Michael Alon. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Commerce Next and presented by Wonderkind. As the CMO of Just Fab, one of Adweek's Women to Watch 2020 and an angel investor in the fashion tech space, Daria Burke has her finger on the pulse of the marketing world. In this episode of Conversations with Commerce Next, we get an exclusive look into Daria's work and career. Daria talks about the big ideas that drew her into the marketing space and the values that are at the core of her work, gain insights on her vision for Just Fab, the future of digital marketing, and the value of inclusive growth as a process and an outcome. And yes, we have an incredible reputation as a very savvy performance marketing organization and and being powered by data and leveraging, deeply leveraging data science and personalization, our membership commerce model have allowed us as a company to reimagine what fast fashion looks like and and kind of the the business cycle of fashion retail. But celebrity still is at the core of our DNA and fashion ultimately is about inspiration. Let's listen in now. Welcome to Conversations with Commerce Next Area. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to speak with you. Well, I am joined here with our producer and co-host of Conversations with Commerce Next, Michael LeBlanc. Hi, Daria. I uh, I know a little bit about the business. Please say hi to Laura for me. I interviewed her at the last big show uh, for one of my other podcasts. So uh, um, it's great to hear uh, the brand again. And I'm so much looking forward to, to talking with you about uh, all the great things that are going on. Oh, wonderful. I absolutely will. And, uh, and I'm sure LJ will be happy to hear that and, and looking forward to the chat for sure. Well, Daria, talk to us about your career journey. You know, walk us through your personal and professional journey and everything that your role encompasses at Just Fab. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is I, I think my marketing career started longer than 20 years ago. I feel like I've been in the space storytelling and selling ideas and even things sometimes since I was really young. Um, I have shared in the past that when I was a very young girl, my sister and I used to make bracelets and we would sell them to, you know, folks in the neighborhood and, and to friends for, you know, not very much money, but these really cute little beaded bracelets and we'd make flowers on them. And, you know, I just really love the, the experience and the practice of creating things. And then I created my own little magazine and I had an audience of one, which was my younger sister. And and it was very much around fashion and beauty. And so when I got to the University of Michigan, I thought that I would parlay those interests into something that was more along the lines actually of journalism or something in that space. So at the University of Michigan, I wound up studying literature and had a really incredible time just thinking about big picture ideas and concepts and the way the world worked and what motivated people. And it kind of led me to marketing. I graduated in college after three years and at 20 years old, still had no idea what I was going to do with my life, but I knew then that at least I wanted to have a business role in a creative environment. And that wound up leading me into architecture and interior design. And I spent five years in the built environment working across disciplines with architects and interior design 
leaders um, who did everything from healthcare and, and you know hospitals to higher education facilities to corporate interiors to more base building architecture projects for the government. And and I loved how multidisciplinary it was, and I really loved how you could see the impact of the environment that we were creating for people on productivity, on employee happiness. And so there were lots of things within that that I really enjoyed. But what was for sure missing for me was, one, really being at the center of the decision-making. When you're in marketing in the professional services environment, you're very much in a support role and not in what we call a line position. And I think the other piece of it was the proximity to the end customer. It was something that I really loved and was craving. And it led me to business school. And like many people, decided to get my MBA with the goal of making that career switch into uh, marketing within the consumer goods world. And was really focused on, on beauty and fashion even then and knew that not only did I have a deep interest in what made people tick, but I really loved the idea that how we choose to express ourselves ex- externally often reflects how we feel and has an impact on how we feel and how we behave and what our desires and our dreams might be. And I studied marketing and strategy at Stern at the Stern School of Business at NYU. And from there, launched into beauty. I spent several years at L'Oreal in their luxury products division, doing marketing at Lancome and then at Yves Saint Laurent Beauté. And it was at YSL that my brand and performance self sort of emerged professionally. You know, I went in with this deep desire to think about what it meant to, to center diversity in those conversations and in those ways. And it was not very trendy at the time to think about that and to think about what it meant to be appealing to a broader range of customers. And so I think youth culture and, and inclusive growth was always something that was kind of at the core of my interests and my thesis for what would drive business outcomes. But then I learned about performance marketing and got a chance to work in digital at YSL. And I was you know, actually working on our email marketing campaigns. I was working with our department store partners on what our brand experience was on their site. I was actually working on you know, at the time it was just link ads and clicking out to, you know, from display ads um, on online uh, to drive people to our our website, our e-commerce site. And I loved it. I loved the real-time feedback. I loved that I could think about what it meant to optimize. There was something there immediately that the customer was able to tell me that we could follow those breadcrumbs and think about how to improve her experience or tell better stories or really show her what she was looking for. And I think, honestly, that's really been the through line for my entire career, thinking about inclusive growth, both as a process, as an outcome. I think my instinct for where the demographic shifts have gone and and continue to go have allowed me to think about storytelling and reach in a really different way, whether it's youth culture, whether it's multiculturalism, um, those intersect very closely, obviously, if you're thinking about where the next 20 years will go. And, you know, I was coming into the marketing discipline, kind of honing both of those simultaneously when you thought about brand and you thought about performance. And I was lucky. I sort of grew up professionally at a time where you had kind of in the early 2000s, 20 years ago, people were just getting online and thinking about distribution that way. 
And then, you know, the last decade, I think, has been so much about customer acquisition at scale. How do we efficiently reach all of these people, bring them into our business and do that as efficiently and effectively as we can? I think this next decade is really going to be about brand and about loyalty. And so for me, it's really exciting to think about then taking that experience and really thinking about the brand and the audience and then performance and moving through my career to a place like Rent the Runway where I joined really, really early on in the business. And that honed my sort of D to C e-com chops even further and allowed me to wear many hats as number 10 um, in a company that really saw explosive growth. And, um, and I was able to have a chance to do that across customer insights and operations around business development, new verticals and businesses we would try, as well as designer relations. And so really working with our designers to make sure that they knew that we weren't trying to, you know, catalyze their business, but that it was an opportunity Mm. to really introduce their brands to new audiences. And, um, and I got a call from Lauder and I decided to go back to beauty and join them as the director of makeup marketing for the North America business on the Lauder brand. And I spent several years there doing that, um, on, you know, across all of the categories within makeup. Uh, we had about, I don't know, 2,200 doors that were all department store doors at the time. And we were just starting to get into Ulta through fragrance and we were in the midst of pitching Sephora. And, you know, that was such a shift that I started to see that was happening in the market. We were also in the midst of the recovery from the economic downturn and seeing what trends were emerging from there. And, you know, I had had at that point a number of years under my belt of launching and sustaining and growing brands. And a lot of that through a really tough time, but it was, you know, very much in the manufacturing space. It was very much with the, the marketing, strategic marketing, but nonetheless marketing lens and doing that as, uh, as, a, um, as a, a luxury sort of brand within the prestige world. And, uh, and so I got a, a very interesting call and I really wasn't um, considering it, but I, I ultimately wound up saying yes to a move to Rhode Island. So I left New York for two years, went to CVS as they were exiting tobacco and really focusing on health and beauty and thinking about what it meant to have that reflected in their proposition and, and what this growth looked like for, for us at CVS in the beauty and health and personal care space. And so I was this, you know, beauty expert coming in to head up that work as the the right hand to the chief merchant of beauty at the time on a $5 billion business. And, you know, we had customers that would spend on average eight minutes in the store because they were coming in to <laughs> refill a prescription or, you know, they were right. um, in and out with convenience in mind. So how do you get them to linger? How do you get them to stay what what's next, you know? And so bringing K-Beauty into CBS was one of the things that I'm really excited that I got to do, thinking about how they evolved their prestige skincare presentation with a very like derm skincare focus, um, dialing up beauty service and launching things like ear piercing with beauty consultants. And, uh, you know, and all- even, the- even, back to your, even back to your architecture days, right? So you I know- think of the transformation physically of, of, depart- of, uh, of these stores, pharmacies, where the, 
you know, they're forward, very forward in the design and the flow with Prestige Beauty now, right? It's changed so much. It changed so much. And you kind of bring me to one of the last things that I got a chance to work on was, um, you know, being one of the architects of Beauty IRL, which was CBS's foray into beauty specific stores. And it was exactly that, getting to design from just a concept and, and consumer behavior, what that would look like. And, um, and thought that I would land in what I call now very much my dream job as CMO at JustFab, but um, got a tap on the shoulder for, from Facebook. And it was very curious because I had not been in sales. I had not been in tech. I had not been in, in deep in advertising singularly or in media in that way, but I had been the client. And that really was the draw to come in and to be a thought partner to and a consultant to the C-suite in beauty, fashion and retail advertisers. And so I worked with the tapestry portfolio, like Coach and Kate Spade, Stuart Weitzman and the Hudson Bay Company. And I worked with the team at Saks and Coors and Unilever and Shiseido and really helped them think about what was next, you know, and how mobile was the future of distribution, of reach, of relevance. So again, that youth culture, that, you know, multicultural customer all through performance marketing and, you know, and uh, did that for several years, had a blast and um, thought I would be there for forever. Honestly, it was such a fun time and really dynamic. And finally, LJ, my, my boss, um, reached out and I had a chance to, you know, have a glass of wine with her. She was actually in New York for Commerce Next uh, a couple of years ago. And there we go. I said, okay, sure, we can meet. And I met her, I think it was at the Renaissance Hotel. And um, we had a chance to, to chat about what she was doing in her then new role and leading the global fashion brands within textile and shared with me her vision for what it meant to reimagine dress fab and I packed my bags and I left New York. I moved to LA and I've spent the last two years leading our marketing team on customer acquisition, on brand positioning, awareness, and loyalty. And doing that globally, we have a team in Barcelona that really leans heavily into our European business and, you know, really owning globally the positioning of the brand and that architecture, that foundation, re-engineering our marketing processes, all the things. But it's been such an incredible time thinking about, as I mentioned, what this next decade looks like for us as a brand and, and what does that mean to fuel loyalty and to bring new customers into Just Fab. Wow. That's like quite an amazing career journey. And I love kind of the mix of your direction, but also like that taking that serendipity and and really like look finding those right opportunities that help you broaden um your perspective as you kind of map out your marketing journey it's pretty amazing thank you it's a jungle gym I, you know, <laughs> it really is and cheryl sandberg says that and i think you know our careers tend to be a series of moves that often don't resemble anything remotely close to a, a very straight line. So yeah, it's been right fun. On. We'll be right back with our interview with Daria Burke right after this message. Wonderkin is a leading performance marketing engine that delivers tailored experiences at scale. 
Digital businesses use Wonderkin to remember who users are better than ever before, allowing them to deliver high-performing one-to-one messages on websites, through emails and texts, and in ads at a scale that's not otherwise possible. Wonderkin drives $1.2 billion annually in directly attributable revenue for top e-commerce brands like Uniqlo, Sonos, and HelloFresh, often ranking as a top three revenue channel in their own analytics. Learn more at wonderkin.co. That's wonderkin.co. Well, I want to have take a moment and kind of double click on what you're currently doing. I'd love it if you could tell our audience about Just Fab. I mean, obviously the company has been a fashion trailblazer, both in terms of the business model and the marketing strategies. Can you talk about what makes Just Fab different from the in the fashion and footwear space? Yes, happily. You know, first and foremost, we have our business model, which provides a really unique and flexible membership that allows our customers to shop as little or as often as they would like. And creating a membership model around uh, in 2010, you know, around fast fashion was quite revolutionary in, in its form. And certainly we have seen a number of other models emerge, but I think we remain unique in that in our structure and in that we really are focused on footwear and then expanding uh, outward into other categories like apparel and accessories, but really as it ties back to dressing from the foot up, as we would say, and, you know, we start with outfooting and then we kind of go from there. And so I would say that's really the, the beginning of it. And through that model, it has allowed us to be incredibly data driven. We, including our creative decisions, you know, we, make so many of our decisions rooted in the data. And again, you know, the customer is always telling you what they want and when they want it and how they best want to hear it from you. And so thinking deeply about what that looks like, particularly at a time where this space has never been more crowded and, you know, it's been disrupted first, I would say by Instagram, which launched months after we did and, and the proliferation of brands being able to come online as a result of how easy it is to, to do so and being able to, you know, stay competitive in that environment. I think relying a lot on the data that we have, the history that we have and that heritage in performance marketing to do that. And then I would say from the customer's perspective, we are very unique in that we have such inclusive sizing. And when you think about the fast fashion landscape, it's getting better in being um, in offering more extended sizes. But within footwear, especially, we're able to offer our customers, you know, sizes five and a half shoes all the way up to a size 12. We have wide width in the majority of our styles, as well as wide calves offerings for our, for our boots. So I would say that's something that I'm happy to see the market evolving, but it's absolutely something that we, you know, have cared deeply about and allows us to remain quite differentiated. And how we represent that to the customer, I think, is also therefore incredibly unique in the diversity that you see with our celeb and um, influencer partners, the creators that we work with. And, you know, and I think our ability to listen very closely to the customer in general, it's something that we're always doing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's always something that I've admired about the company, how data-driven JustFab is and and also just how analytical your approach to marketing as a whole. Um, but also kind of what I'm getting from this conversation is your agility to kind of adapt as the customer adapts, because that, you know, 
A traditional brand can't always do that because of the lead cycle sometimes it takes to, to develop products. Um, and I guess to that effect, my, my question for you is kind of being in this fashion category, obviously, you know, when COVID hit, we all had to pivot in the height of COVID. And how did Just Fab adapt, you know, when women were wearing slippers, socks and sweatsuits and maybe not wearing heels as often as they used to? Absolutely. It was that agility absolutely came into play for us. And it was a strength that we could could leverage. We were fortunate in that we had some of the offerings that were very easily sold and, and that were relevant in real time to her life. And so things like loungewear, things like slippers and sneakers and and even some things within the active space. And so what we really focused on was pivoting hard and leveraging those categories as a means of, of driving and sustaining the growth and, and ultimately being relevant to the customer and having that offering. And so chasing what we could as quickly as we could and and then being fortunate that we, we had the breadth that we needed on the footwear categories where she was more interested, you know, in the sneakers and the flats and the slippers that could allow us to ultimately deliver across the combination of all those categories about 124% growth year over year. And, and now we have long lead times. So I, I won't pretend that it wasn't something that we thought about and we had to continue to try to plan into, and we didn't know what was going to come down the pike for fall, but we were in a good position pretty much in real time to huddle on where we would lean in and, and where we would focus. And the interesting thing is that we saw as early as November that the customer was checking with our stories around and our ideas around being fabulous at home and celebrating that even though you're at home, you can still look and feel good. But we started to see heels coming up in search terms. And, you know, we started to see her actually buying heels as early as the around the holiday time frame. And we still had a lot of uncertainty about what the future would hold. But I started to call it Hope Couture because it was I think it was people willing themselves into this next phase of where we all were as a society, you know, and as a culture. And, you know, we've obviously started to concede continue to see that pick up, but it was, it was absolutely a part of our, our, I think our superpower in our business model that at a time where retail stores were closing and traditional companies and brands and advertisers were just starting to really think about digital marketing and reach, you know, we were able to, to capitalize on that and, and be in real time relevant and resonant, which was, which was wonderful. Your textile is known as a very savvy performance marketer, and and I'm trying to pull a few threads here together, both from your experience and the business you're in, which is this intersection of fashion. And fashion uh, and brand doesn't always intersect uniformly with performance marketing. Like, sometimes those are two worlds. Talk about, uh, you we were talking a bit about off mic, you know, if we do the calendar of when you started uh, at, at textile, you're kind of at the at the cusp of the COVID era. Talk about the culture of your team. Like, how do you hire? Who do you hire? Because you both need that blend of, as marketers, you need that blend of very savvy performance marketing, which clearly you've got, uh, you know, over the course of your career runs a solid thread. But you've also got that fashion sense, right? That that creative sense. Talk about when you hire, how you hire, how you're running your team now. Just a bit of the culture 
that you pulled together within your organization? Sure. I, I, it's interesting. I think about us, and yes, we have an incredible reputation as a very savvy performance marketing organization and, and being powered by data and leveraging, deeply leveraging data science and personalization, our membership commerce model have allowed us as a company to reimagine what fast fashion looks like and, and kind of the, the business cycle of fashion retail. But yeah. celebrity still is at the core of our DNA and fashion ultimately is about inspiration. And so both of those things, I think, have always coexisted for us and have always been really important to us. I for sure came in with the deep desire and the very clear goal of reimagining Just Fab for today and and ensuring that we through a new voice and visual signature have the ability to create greater reach and relevance and resonance with with our current customers as well as kind of that next generation of, of fashion interested customers. And so I was able to, you know, pretty quickly understand I had a lot of talent on that front on my team already, but I had two roles that were really important that needed to be filled. And the first was my creative director. And Mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate that, as you mentioned, I came in quite uh, quite just a few months before before the pandemic really hit us and kind of shook the world under our feet. And I was able to find my senior creative director to round that out and to help me think about what our brand architecture was going to be and to be able to re-engineer that from the ground up and our value propositions. And therefore, how do those things come to life and reimagining the entire creative process and our photography and our perspective on tone and you know all of that work, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was really important and so when I was looking for that role I was looking for a creative person who understood the pace of the performance marketing world and who understood the see yeah. I think someone who had an understanding of even membership was great and I wound up being able to bring in someone who you know, had had that a lot of that experience. She's also one of the most strategic creative people that I I know and have the pleasure of working with. I think beyond that, folks who have, in some cases, obviously deep technical expertise is very important depending on the role. But that forty thousand foot view for me is driven by someone who is curious and asks a lot of questions. You know, I'm leading leaders, and so who have to manage managers in many cases, and so. Are you asking the right questions to get from your team right. what you need? Um, do you have that appetite for kind of that shift that we need? Um, there's, a, there's a level of endurance and stamina and, and risk-taking that you right. know, comes with that as well. So I would say those are two of the things that are, are incredibly important. We've got to be able to test and pivot and somebody who's just never satisfied um, with that and, and trying to figure out how do we outvest ourselves um, is, is really important. And somebody who wants to have fun. I, I like to have fun at work and fashion is right to be fun. And you've got you to gotta love that piece of it as well. If you're enjoying this interview, you may want to join us for Commerce Next IRL on September 28th, 29th at the New York Hilton Midtown. Some of the speakers you'll be seeing including Noam Paransky, Chief Digital Officer Tapestry, Akta Chopra, Chief Digital Officer at Alf Beauty, Matt Gehring, GM of e-commerce at Everlane, Alex Waldman, Co-Founder and Creative Director at Universal Standard, Jennifer Patrick, Global Branding and Packaging Director at Patagonia, and many more. Commerce Next IRL will cover themes such as the resurgence of brick-and-mortar retail and its impact on e-commerce, 
and how to prepare for a cookie-less future. We can't wait to get the Commerce Next community together in person and hope you'll join us. Learn more and register now at commercenext.com. Well, what you're describing really is the art and science of marketing, which is, is that kind of blend between the two. So let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, you described, I thought it was so interesting, you described Instagram as a disruptor. I've never heard that, that, disru- disru- uh, that description of Instagram before in this context. So uh, what's working really well for you in terms of performance marketing, if you could share with the, with the listeners? And, and maybe, you know, what maybe if looking back, you would have, du- would you double down on anything? Or, you know, what, what's standing out in your minds today as, as a tactic within that realm that's really working well for you? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I think, and Instagram was a disruptor. Facebook, in general, was a disruptor when you think about its ability to allow advertisers to reach millions and millions of people so quickly. And then, you know, over the last decade to be able to build out experiences that could drive, actually drive sales um, in near real time is, is unprecedented, right? So Instagram, I think, what it did was allowed a different kind of storytelling to emerge and it kind of allowed this this collision of the traditional mediums like print. It was kind of this backlit magazine and in, to some extent even television where you had short, medium and then long form content, right? So I think it, it was very disruptive in that way. For us, what's worked has been, you know, one, really following the data and thinking a lot about where the customer is going. I think our vertical integration and our structure internally allows us to do that even more so where we have both acquisition and therefore the strategy as well as the media buying all in-house and, and that those dynamics are a critical part of our DNA. It also therefore allows us to get, generate learnings incredibly quickly and think about optimization to build the right internal tools to measure efficacy and think about attribution in the right way. And of course, creative, you have to have a strong creative. You cannot win in this world. And, and I call it brand formants. Um, when you think about creative that can service the brand and be accretive to the brand and do the right job of introducing just fab to customers who perhaps don't yet know us or haven't yet experienced us, but that still has that urgency to drive the click and, and sort of trigger the trip to our site and ultimately yield in that purchase. And so I think the combination of that immediate feedback of the really strong creative that we always look to put out into the world, as well as our um, internal structures are are fantastic. And then I think what's accelerated that and been kind of a a super charger for it has been our our talent that we work with from kind of our micro-influencer community to our creators and kind of the more traditional fashion and lifestyle influencers and then our celebrities. And I think that has really allowed us to bring all of those elements together in a really, really powerful way. And then we've got a great story. You know, I think that that still is super important and it's a very fun, exciting and curious idea to think about having a a membership in footwear and in fashion that allows you to be flexible, allows you to get great shoes at a a really Mm. valuable price. I think that's always, you know, top of mind for us and thinking about what's going to drive that, drive that performance as well. You've really written the book 
on on that measurement connecting with all these points, particularly influencers, right? Because influence measurement, I think you've you know, in talking speaking with Laura in past uh, discussions, you really honed in on if we're going to have these famous names, we're going to have these influencers, small, bigger, medium, that that DNA of measurement is still there, right? It's not some ancillary and it's not some blank check. They, you know, the performance metrics need to be there. Very interesting. Um, let me sh- let me shift gears a little bit on, let's talk about inclusivity and diversity. I, I, very important to consumers. You've spoken about it earlier in the interview as, as also a consistent thread. You've talked about it in the context of of just fab in terms of size, inclusivity, you know, wide, uh, wider elements and parts. But how does how else or how other do you think of it uh, within your world and within your universe? And how are you how are you uh, flexing or continuing to uh, to adapt and and uh, and grow that component of the brand? Sure, I, and you know, again, I think, and I give all credit to Don and Adam, our co-founders, and the team that was there before me, because it's been important to us for the entire time we've been around. It's, it's part of what attracted me to the role and to the company. It's, it's deeply personal for me as well. And you've heard about how that's played out throughout my career before getting here. And so for me, one of our core beliefs and one of the things in building our brand architecture was having a very clear statement that fashion should exist for and be available to more than just a few people. And so, yes, in sizing, that plays out when you think about the extended sizes that we have in footwear and in apparel. But it also means having the breadth that would accommodate many different lifestyles. And, and you know, we talk about having all of the shoes to live your life in and what does that look like? And it means representation. It means ensuring that our models for our e-commerce, you know, photography and our influencers and creator community, our celebrity talent all reflect the world that we live in. And, and people deserve to feel seen and have a sense of belonging. And it's important to us to, to acknowledge and reflect that and use our platform to amplify very positive messages around that. And that's extended into working with women who we are incredibly inspired by, you know, culture changing women that we think are shaping the world in many different ways through our leading with style series and mm-hmm. elevating women of influence. You know, we work with a lot of influencers and they're fantastic and, and great at what they do, but women of influence who are often founders of, you know, things like I am a voter and working with Mandana Dayani or Ali Webb, who's the founder of Drybar, and really thinking about what that means to elevate them and, and highlight our brand values in that way. And, you know, and it goes beyond casting. It's the hairstylists, it's the makeup artists, it's, you know, it's our photographers. Um, it's really important to us to have an ecosystem that is thoroughly and holistically inclusive and diverse. And, you know, last but not least, the last year has, I think, challenged a lot of us to consider whatever level of consciousness you've had about what's happening in the world and what the social injustices are that are happening. Our ability to use our platform as well to speak out against racism, against police brutality, to say that Black Lives Matter and to be able to make financial commitments as well to causes and initiatives and organizations that are really rooted in 
fighting against those injustices and, and making this a more equitable place for all people. And so, you know, for us, it's so deeply embedded in what we do and, you know, within textile more broadly as an organization, having so many different partnerships and, and um, efforts that we are, are leading with our head of diversity and inclusion um, that range from training to recruitment to, um, you know, some of the, some of the nonprofit causes that I mentioned, some of the volunteer efforts, right, that right we on. Do. you know, it really does extend very deeply across the organization in so many ways. Well, it, it feels like both philosophically and by the, what you love to do in your career, you're at the, a great place. Like it, it feels like where you are today. So let's talk about getting to a right place in your career. Uh, any advice that you might share with the listeners? I mean, what, what did you describe it as that kind of jungle gym, not non-linear? I'm going here, I'm going there. I'm on this side of the table. I'm on that side of the table. I'm gamekeeper. Sometimes maybe I'm whatever agency client. Is, is that the, the, in your mind, a, a, a great path, that kind of diverse path of experiences? What, what are your kind of one or two things that you would advise the listeners about growing to into the CMO role as you've uh, as you've experienced it, and you might advise the CMO role has evolved so much, and I think my my time growing up professionally required more of the jungle gym in order to build the toolkit that I feel like I needed that serves me best. I think the role of the CMO is evolving, and we're starting to see CMOs being tapped for CEO roles, and I think that's a function of understanding that the person who really sort of owns air quote, right. Owns the customer. Right. Right. Um, it owns the strategy for where you're going and has that ability. And I think the, the rigor that has come with performance marketing has armed many CMOs with a well-balanced toolkit to lead businesses in ways that perhaps in the past, um, just didn't exist. And, you know, you didn't even see consistently see CMOs owning a PL. So I think if, if someone was really interested in, in this world, absolutely being able to gain, gain experience in, in digital marketing, and fortunately, most people coming up professionally now will more naturally have that. But I think sure. if it's not naturally woven into your day-to-day, ensuring that you create that, that understanding and you really yeah. develop that fluency, it's, it's critical. Seek it out, basically. Your advice would be to seek it out if it's not part of what you're doing on a day-to-day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that might mean leaving. You know, that may mean sometimes making a choice to go somewhere else. I think beyond that, it really does come down to developing the skills that you want to be known for. I am a huge proponent of strengths-based leadership and strengths-based work. And Clifton Strengths is a tool that I use kind of obsessively. Um, it was something that early in my career really fueled my thesis on what I was good at. It gave me a vocabulary for how to think about what I was good at. It also understood, helped me understand how to hire for my blind spots and, and you know, hire for, I don't want to say weaknesses, but things that are less rare in my, in my core strengths. And so as someone who naturally has strategic thinking acumen and who is great at influencing others and getting people started and kind of activating the room or taking a really good idea and maximizing it to its highest potential. Folks who are really good at 
relationship building in other ways, people who are really good at executing and can, you know, bring that focus um, or bring a different type of harmony to a team are things that are super important. And I think knowing yourself, I think being a leader, regardless of the role, right? But we'll talk about it in the context of what I do. I think so much about what this, what disruptive leadership might look like. I think it starts with knowing yourself and then it's knowing your team and then it's knowing how to take risks and how to fail, fail forward. And so I think you've got to know what your strengths are in order to do that. The functional expertise is always going to evolve to some extent. Technology is going to force us to have to learn something else along the way. And I think being okay with that and knowing that growth and evolution means your identity will change. You can't do the same things and have the same outcome if you want to grow. It means self-disruption. It means thinking about what might be next. It means having a beginner's mind. So I don't know that there is a very specific roadmap that I would offer to someone in terms of their path to CMO. It's going to look different for everyone. Um, sure very practically, though, I would say never take the first offer and, <laughs> you know, and to really think about, you know, what it is that you want and, and go after that. And um, if you don't try, you know, you'll never get it. Have more questions than answers. And, you know, ultimately, you, you really only learn by acting. You're not going to think your way into learning. You have to do. Um, and so I think taking those risks and, and testing, it would be very practical advice that I would offer to anyone. That's so great, Daria. And I just, one thing I just want to add to what Michael asked is I, if you kind of look at your role in five years, you know, how do you think it will, if at all, how will it be different than it is today? And maybe I want to even broaden this question to say, you know, what role will you be in? Will you be in the CEO suite or will you be in the CMO suite? Like, where do you see your career going? Gosh, that is, those are both (laughs) great questions. I think to answer your first one, I absolutely think that the CMO role, it's already evolving. We're seeing now chief revenue officer, chief growth officer, and chief customer officer, chief customer officer. Uh, Gosh, I mean, I can't even keep up with all the new titles that are emerging. They all say the same thing though. It's they're all saying, who is our customer? Who should it be? How do we grow our business by being relevant to that customer? And where, you know, where do we go from there? And that role, therefore, I think becomes exponential in what the future could look like. I mentioned a bit ago that more CMOs, I think, are moving into the CEO you know, office of the chief executive and, and playing, um, playing to the, those strengths and how being visionary in a different way and having a knowledge of where the customer or the market where the trends are going, how important it is for the CEO to have that, that instinct. And so I imagine that will just continue on. I think that growth in all of its forms will be more important to the CMO than ever. And I think traditional CMOs who've been very, very brand focused are going to continue to find their roles being stretched and um, pushed into places. And and right now that looks like a lot of silos. If you're in a big company, you, maybe you have a chief digital officer and CMO and, you know, a head of growth. And sometimes that makes sense. I think those things will slowly become uh, more singular in its leadership and the teams below that person um, really have those areas of expertise. But I think that it will always have some element of 
brand formants. And I think that it will, you know, really be um, those who can follow where the customer is going or anticipate where the customer right. is going, where culture is going, really, um, who who will, will win and thrive. For me personally, I love being in the CMO seat. Um the creativity that comes with that, you know, some of my best days are the days where I get to be on set or I get to roll up my sleeves with the team and think about a concept for a shoot and, or just going through selects for, you know, for something. I, I love those days as much as I do the days where we have big aha moments for what we might try or test into that feels a little bit more data driven. And so I don't know. I think for now, that's that's really what I enjoy. I absolutely could see that excitement move into the CEO role, but it's it's not something that I'm, I'm on the immediate focusing on. I, I really do enjoy the work I'm doing, and I get to right now think about just bringing a, a new version of our brand to life in T minus four weeks, and so it's uh, that's really where my attention is in the in the immediate term. Well, truly a modern CEO, the art, the science, the dollop of revenue generation, a connectivity to the customer. Uh, listen, this has been a great, uh, great discussion. Thanks, Daria, for joining us on Conversations with Commerce Next and sharing your insights, professional journey. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you're going to be speaking at Commerce Next IRL, as the kids would say in real life. Uh, on September 28th, 29th in uh, New York City. You're, you'll be back on the other side of the coast uh, in New York. And, and your session is Building a Modern Marketing Organization for Today's Growth Challenges. We focus on leadership advice. So I think we'll take the, the, the bit of discussion we had on that. I, clearly, there's a, a lot more you have to contribute because it's just such a fantastic discussion. So thanks, uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Veronica, oh, back to you. Of course. And on, on behalf of Scott and Michael, I, I wish you much continued success and, of course, a great rest of your day. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on this show. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved every minute of it. I cannot wait to be together <laughs> in New York in the fall. It is the best time to be out there. So there's so much more to look forward to. But I am thrilled to be with you today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Conversations with Commerce Next. Please follow us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast platform, where we will be sharing career advice and marketing strategies from e-commerce and digital marketing leaders at retailers and direct-to-consumer brands each and every episode. Commerce Next is a community, event series, and conference for marketers at retail and direct-to-consumer brands. Through our online forums, interviews, webinars, summits, and other in-person events, we harness the collective wisdom of our community to help marketers grow their businesses and advance their careers. Join Commerce Next events to meet other industry leaders and learn the latest e-commerce and marketing strategies. You can find upcoming events at commercenext.com. Have a fantastic week, everyone.